0: Sharon said, "I'm Linda. I lead Fountains Church, Bradford, part of our our network here, and it is always a complete joy uh, to be with you here at St Margaret's." Um, Nathaniel sent his greetings from a field down in Kent somewhere. Uh, he's taken our fountains church family down to new wine so they've been having some fun times down there I think probably some excellent worship they've had some downpours of rain they've had the usual crises that happen when you're away from home so uh, he's probably looking forward to coming back um, today I guess so uh, we pray God's traveling mercies as they travel all the way back as well I love the story of Joseph don't you how many of you have come across the story of Joseph before? I guess most of you have. Did anybody get to see it when it came to when the musical came to the Alhambra earlier this year? Did anybody get to see it? No, I I took my grandkids along. <laughs> Fantastic. Anybody else actually performed in Joseph? Yeah, a few people have performed in Joseph. I did. So I'm of an age where before the big theatrical performances began, they actually gave it over to schools to trial it out. And so I was in one of the pilot groups that, uh, that were in it. And... Uh, And it does actually stick quite closely to the story of Joseph, doesn't it? And I don't know about you, but I can't help but listen. As soon as you start hearing about the dreams, your head goes, I dream that in a field one day I can't collecting And all of that kind of stuff. But it is an incredibly dramatic and incredibly kind of powerful story, which is why we've chosen to use drama in this season as kind of part of what we're doing. We get all manner of human emotions around and about, don't we? We get changes of fortune, envy, revenge, jealousy, and in the end, massive demonstrations of forgiveness. Sorry, there's a bit of a spoiler alert in there. But Joseph himself, at the end of the scriptures relating to his story, says, you, brothers, and everybody intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So that's the end. We begin with the end in mind. So briefly, just in terms of of context, um, the narrative of Joseph is based around 1700 BC. So something like 3,700 years ago. So it's a very Ancient story, and some of the archaeologists think that it happened around the time when a a people called the Hiscus uh, ruled the delta of the Nile in Egypt. And what we discover in the story, what we've heard now in video and in drama, is the fact that Joseph had a real position of favor in his family, and that was quite unusual in the time because typically in the ancient. Uh, well, the oldest son was the one who would be particularly favoured by the parents. They would be the one who would accept the inheritance and all of those kind of things. But a little bit funnily, in Genesis, in the book of Genesis that we read in the Bible, quite often it's the younger or youngest son uh, that is favoured. And that's what's happening here in this story. Um, I've chosen to put some of the kind of proper scriptural words up on the screen because you may have noticed that in our drama and in the film they weren't exactly the words that are translated in scripture. So just in case you want to see that it is all rooted in scripture they are appearing above my above my head. And I would encourage you no matter what your age to when you go home today grab a bible and read Genesis 37, because it is just as gripping, if not more gripping, than this, the ways in which we've shown, it, uh, we've shown it today. But the story goes on, doesn't it, that um, uh, Israel or Jacob, he loved Joseph more than any of his children. He was a child who was born to him in his old age. And there was Benjamin who came after him. But Israel made it really clear that Joseph was special to him. So not a great thing for a parent to do, but that was what happened. And as you saw in our drama, he was given an ornate robe. And there's all kinds of different translations of what this robe looked like. There seems to be something which implies sleeves, and there's something which implies decoration. But it was a beautiful robe that Jacob had made for him. And then we come to the dreams, don't we? So to add insult to the injury, G- Joseph is getting these dreams and deciding to share them with his brother. To be fair, he is only 17. And I think probably some of us can remember when we were that kind of age. And you think you know a lot when you're 17, don't you? So you, know, you think you know best. And so Joseph decided that he was going to share these dreams with his brother. So the first of them is that they would all bow down to him around the sheaf, the different sheaves. Uh, and then the second one, was around the sun and the moon bowing down to him. And at this point, his father gets involved and his father also gets pretty irritated that Joseph has in his head, because somehow Joseph has made this interpretation that this all means that everybody's going to bow down to him. Now again, spoiler alert, of course, this does actually happen further on in the story. Now, dreams were understood in the ancient world to be, a way in which the God, our God, as we believe God, or gods, as many of the Egyptians believed it, spoke into the world. So when Joseph was talking about dreams, in that context, they were thinking, and this is why it was such an irritating thing for brothers and father, that actually this was their God speaking into the situation. And so the combination of these things Begins to create a very kind of toxic environment in the family situation, as was beautifully demonstrated by our actors earlier. You've got this combination of envy, because Joseph has got some stuff that they don't have, and jealousy, which is around the different relationships, which are now in tension. So uh, I don't know whether any of you adults particularly read into anything that Brené Brown has written. So she's written a, a book which has been a Sunday Times bestseller for a little while called um, uh, Thingy of the Heart. What's it called? Um, map, it's like a map of, the, map of the heart. It's on one of my things. Slides a little bit later on. I, uh, I, I uh, note it. Um, Atlas of the Heart. That's it. Atlas of the Heart. And what she does in this book is to look at all of the different emotions that we have. She calls herself an emotions researcher. She's a psychologist um, by training. And she says that envy occurs when we want something that another person has. And jealousy occurs when we fear losing a relationship or a valued part of a relationship that we have. And what we have at play then in this ancient drama is the bringing together of both of those things. And it becomes really toxic. You've got the envy over the coat and then fear over these relationships that actually the normal process of how things are going to happen in the family once Israel or Jacob dies is all going to be overturned by the relationship that uh, Israel has with, um, with Joseph. So maybe this is a moment just for you to have a think for a moment because these emotions are not just things that happened 3,000 years ago, are they? What is there in, in your life where there are places of envy or places of jealousy? I'm hoping that there's none that's quite as big as this kind of Joseph scenario. But I think if we're all honest... There are situations, aren't there, where we feel this way. Just have a moment and just perhaps reflect. I've um, just had my three Canadian grandchildren over with me for uh, the last month. It's been an absolutely joyous uh, time. And because they live in Canada, I don't see them all that frequently. In fact, it's been about 18 months uh, since I saw them. And we were supposed to be going out to them, but unfortunately, because Dave wasn't well, um, they came over to us. They asked that Dave um, didn't, didn't fly. And so I was observing my three Canadian grandchildren who were all very different in their personalities. The eldest is 11, youngest is six. Um, but there were times when each one of them over the course of the month said words, to the, words that kind of were like this, but I'm your favorite child. So, you know, I'm wanting something. But I'm your favorite child. And they did it with great glee and great joy. There was never any sense that actually there was a reality behind it. But as I was thinking about this talk this morning, I was thinking, but there's always that bit in each one of us, isn't there? And I can remember with my children always going, you know, you are my favorite eldest child. You are my favorite youngest child. You are my favorite son in the middle. Uh, You know, because we, we, we know that there's different things that each of the children... Bring, and there's such a love that you have for them that can't be divided. You can't say, I love this child more than I love another child. And then I guess there's also that point where we must all, at points, have looked at somebody else with a bit of envy. So I love what Amy was saying about, uh, you know, kind of social media. Um, I look sometimes, in fact, it's it's interesting again, talking about uh, my family being together. We were taking photographs, but my photographs that I took weren't good enough because mine were just the normal ones that you would clip on my phone. My daughters take them on Instagram, using Instagram, because you can put them through a filter. And if you put them through a filter, then everything looks better. And again, I was thinking, this is really interesting, isn't it, that we can't just have it as it is, Um, with all of our kind of warts and all, it had to go through a filter so it somehow looks extra shiny and extra special. And so we begin to be in this place where what we try to do is to filter the bad out of our lives. I've got one picture that we took, which was one of the few pictures we've got with all of our family together. And so I got it made into a canvas and put on my wall and I bought a second one for one of my daughters and and said, would you like this this canvas? And she was like, no, because I don't look great on that picture. I said, but everybody else looks fantastic. And actually she did look absolutely fine. But it's interesting, isn't it? You begin to kind of push and go, well, because it doesn't look perfect, then actually I don't want... That kind, of, that kind of memory, really, really odd. But that's the way that our culture drives us, isn't it? So how do we handle this stuff? Well, before I get to that point, I just want to really finish the story. So obviously the story goes on and the brothers get their revenge. First of all, the older brothers contemplate murdering young Joseph. And then the eldest brother, Reuben... Um, Who knows what was driving his kind of thinking? Why did Reuben decide that he didn't want to um, kill the brother? He wants to step in and stop short of actually getting rid of Joseph. Um, But nonetheless, wants Joseph kind of out of the way. And then Judah comes up with this other plan to have... um, um, the, to sell off the um, Joseph to the traders on the way to Egypt, um, and obviously while in Egypt, Joseph then begins to rise in all kinds of different ways. But what happens is the brothers then cover over this deed of human trafficking. Um, you know we look at it and you know it's a story it's a story we're familiar with, but essentially this is what's happening in here. But Joseph's one of the first narrated um, kind of situations of human trafficking taking place. And they soak Joseph's coat with goat's blood and then give it back to the father. Really interesting, if you do read the story, we haven't got time to go into it today, but clothing in the whole narrative of Joseph always symbolizes that something is shifting And something is changing. So you won't pick that up in our dramas or on the film. But if you read the scriptures, go back to the scriptures and read them. Just have a look at the role that clothing places. And each time clothing is mentioned, there's something significant that sits behind that. But having presented this robe back to um, Israel then um, Jacob, Israel, draws the conclusion that Joseph has been attacked and killed by wild animals. His brothers actually didn't lie about it, but he jumped to that conclusion. And so we end the story today in this place of great sadness where Israel is now mourning the death of his son. And you know for a number of years, until it all comes to a conclusion, probably never gets over that. So let's flip back to Oz at... St. Margaret's. We were thinking a few moments ago about places where we are jealous, places where we have envy. I'm going again back to what Brene Brown says. She says that these things always come out of a place. They're rooted in us comparing ourselves with each other. Comparison. I don't know about you, but it's something that I do quite a lot, and I know that it is not healthy for me. Now, comparison isn't emotion. Comparison is an actual, an actual thing, but it drives from it all sorts of feelings. And actually, it's one of those things I think is attached to our broken human condition. It's an inherent part of, actually, our normal human lives, But I would suggest that it's probably not something that we should be trying to adopt as part of being a follower of Jesus. Now again, it's really interesting in this book, Brené Brown suggests that rather than choosing these negative emotions or being pushed to these negative emotions of jealousy and envy, that we should instead begin to look at the more constructive emotions around comparison. And she says that what, that what are more positive uh, human emotions? You just bear in mind that she's, I think she is a person of faith, but I don't know that she's an active disciple of Jesus. She says that um, we should admire people for their abilities. So she, we should take those moments to go, instead of going, actually, you know, I am really jealous of somebody who speaks incredibly well or who's got this particular house or this particular car but rather admire what they have done in getting to the point where they have been able to achieve that so beginning to think about the different characteristics that make up that person that mean that they can do something which is different to what I can do and then the second thing that she says which I think is really interesting is that we should look to reverence Now, that should be a word that we kind of pick up on a little bit because that's something that we do talk about within our faith. And what she says is that reverence is a cardinal virtue characterized by the capacity of feeling deep respect, love and humility for something which is sacred or transcendent. Reverence seems to foster a deep desire for connection to what we revere. We want to be closer to that thing or person. I think if we shift that around a little bit and say, actually what we want to be as Jesus' people is characterized by feelings of deep respect and love and humility for our God, and our reverence then fosters a deep desire for connection to God, then that begins to put some of this stuff into context. Because for us as followers of Jesus... Really, our only comparison should be with him, shouldn't it? And I, I don't know about you. I mean, I was I was at our Saturday gathering last night, and they was talking on. Um, we're talk, going through the Beatitudes, and we were talking about blessed are the pure in heart. And I'd talked about it, and then Hannah, who was um, playing our song worship after I'd done the talk, played a song, and just suddenly, do you know how Holy Spirit just opened something up for you? And it, we were singing about thank you for the cross. And just in that moment, you know, God just opened something up, and I'd spoken about, you know, what it means to be um, uh, pure in heart. And for me, there was a recognition that my heart is not always that pure. You know, we, you know, get it wrong all the time. And yet, God, in the beautiful way that God is, is very forgiving and very gracious. And just suddenly broke me to think about how much God had done. For me. And I think when we're in this position where we're getting closer and closer to Him, where we think that actually the place where we need to measure ourselves is Jesus, then we know that actually we don't get it right all the time. And that means that actually when I look around me, I need to be thinking about other people in that same way. So Sharon doesn't always get it right, dear. Do Nathaniel doesn't always get it right. Jamie doesn't always get it right. Amy doesn't always get it right. As she said earlier, you know, there's always those things. But actually, rather than comparing and thinking somebody else is perfect, we are always looking on somebody who's totally loved by God but is equally broken. But there's also more than that for us as well, I think. And that is the fact that even through my brokenness, what God was showing me yesterday was that I was still completely loved by him. And this sense that actually there is nothing that I can ever do that will make God love me anymore. So even if I was able to do 10 tons of service, if I was able to do all the things that I can't do, God cannot love me any more than he already does because he's love. And no matter what I do, even if I do really bad stuff that really hurts God and really hurts other people, he still really loves me and so that gives me a sense of real security because actually if God loves me so much and can't love me anymore and can't love me any less then why do I have to move myself into a position where I'm trying to do more or have more it makes it all it has no value does it and so I think as I draw this now kind of into, into a conclusion, my desire and my prayer for you guys is that you will become more rooted in him, that you will know more and more day by day that real sense of God cannot love you anymore, God cannot love you any less. This isn't religion, this is a relationship that we have with God. And I might not look fantastic on the last Instagram picture. I might not have the best car in the world, the best house in the world. I may not be the best speaker in the world because there are lots of people who are better than me. All of those kind of things. But I am the person who God created me to be. And my challenge is to be the best at being that person that God wants me to be. Not to try to be somebody else. And that frees me to be the person that God wants me to be. So shall we pray together? What I'd like you to do, first of all, is just to think about those areas of jealousy and envy that you thought about when we paused earlier. And as you bring those to mind, I want you to just one by one hand them over to God. Just imagine that he's in front of you, or however you imagine God when you're praying And just hand those jealousies, hand those envies over to him and let him take them. And then in response, why not talk to God about understanding more about his love for you? Hear him say to you, that you are loved by him. There's nothing you need to do more. There's nothing you need to do less. He loves you just how you are. And Heavenly Father, we pray that as we go from this place, that you would keep rooting us so much in your love that you would help us to change those neural pathways those things in our brain which constantly go to looking at other people with envy and jealousy would you help us to keep redirecting those to you and to be in that place of knowing that you just love us so much that we don't need to be envious or jealous of others help us Lord, to become more like you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.